Oh, is that the new baby? Can I see the picture? Can I see? Catherine, how was lunch yesterday? Oh, Catherine, great job with the lunch. It was hard. Don't sweat it. It's not an easy job. Junk Food Dinner 659. We've got another round of short films and they're weird as hell this week. First, it's metal, drugs, and Satan in Where Evil Dwells. Next, everything is for sale for $17 billion in The Price Master. Finally, Catherine goes to work in an office in Catherine. Dinner episode 658. This is the podcast where each week we scour the internet, video stores, and cable television, searching for the most outrageous and interesting cult films. In Ohio, I am Kevin Moss, and I'm joined by my California co-hosts Parker Bowman in the 559 and Sean Byron in LA. This week, we kick off March with three very weird short films, starting with Where Evil Dwells from 1985, The Price Master from 2001, and Catherine from 2013. But first, gentlemen, how are you doing this week? Are you ready for some springtime action? I know you guys out there, you're getting some very weird, uncharacteristic weather. Snow, oh, yeah. wetness. Yeah. Cold. It's wild out here, Kevin yeah. Moss. Yeah, it's crazy out here. It, it snowed so bad that my guy, Chalky, couldn't come up to Fresno to play a rock and roll concert. So I was left in the lurch. I had to sit home by myself, looking out the window at the snow, wondering why I was doomed to not hang out with Chalky and enjoy his band where he plays Weezer songs dressed up like an old man. And this this is after you took pains to promote this show in your local (laughs) newspaper. I can imagine that your reader base thinks that you're some kind of a liar at this point. That could be. I was actually too late. When I found out that the show was canceled the day of the show, I was too lazy to update the story. So I hope that none of my readers traveled all the way up to Fresno, like a 45-minute drive in the snow to go see Chalky. If so, I apologize, dear readers. But Yeah. Uh, if so, call in. Let us know. If you were there standing in the snow outside the venue because of Bowman's yellow journalism, uh, I think we have a right to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then meanwhile, it's been like literally 70 degrees in February here in Ohio, which is also equally weird so but i'm sure it's fine i'm sure nothing to worry about mm-hmm. it'll all even out yeah couldn't possibly be related to those toxic chemicals in the air transforming the temperature of your region no i don't think that's i mean that is a problem but i don't think that has anything to do with the weather <laughs> well, it just might kevin moss you never know you know the science is still out i don't know that seems like a stretch. But, um, yeah, well, I apologize that you haven't been able to uh, to party and, and hang out and go to any concerts. I, I had some fun this week, though. I got out of the house. I went to the theater not once but twice since I last talked to you, both times to see older pictures. I went and saw, uh, the first of all, David Lynch. Uh, so I'm, I'm already uncharacteristically going to see David Lynch. But I saw Wild at Heart on the big screen. 
which was a lot of fun. Um, I like David Lynch. I do. I, so I like that movie, and that's a lot of fun. That was fun to see with a group. Uh, friend of the show, Justin, put that one on and had a packed house for that, which was great. Um, did you wear your leather snakeskin jacket, is it, that Nick Cage <laughs> yeah. wears? I did not, but uh, d- there was somebody in the audience wearing the the iconic snakeskin jacket. So, And he, I'm sure that dude has been waiting for years <laughs> for this opportunity to break that snakeskin jacket out. I think that dude yeah. follows the film around the country like it's fish or something, you know? <laughs> he would yeah. be a fool not to once he invested in that snakeskin. <laughs> yeah. Now, is it ironic for him to wear that snakeskin jacket? Because Nick, Nicolas Cage specifically wore it because it was a way of expressing his individuality. So is this guy <laughs> kind of a poser for doing the same thing? I mean, I think, well, it's funny because in preparation, I did look up to see like if you could buy. And there, there are websites that sell specifically like get the snakeskin jacket that's worn in Wild at Heart. So I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that that own one. So yeah, you're not really too individual at this point. You mm-hmm. fuckhead. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. And then uh, later that week, went back to the theater to see. Uh, the Grindhouse releasing presentation of The Beyond, a movie that we did a little less than a year ago here on the show. Um, and this was the new uh, composer's cut of the film. The composer of the movie, I guess, went back and re-recorded uh, the music for it, gave it a little extra kick, a little extra kick drum in the mix. And uh, that was fun. The Beyond, it was great to see again on the big screen with a crowd. And um, yeah, I mean, the new soundtrack, it's not like wildly different, but it is a little bit more punchy. And yeah, it sounded good. And it was, again, great to see on the big screen. So that was a good time. I, I like that. I like the sound of that. Although it does make me wonder, you see these kinds of things sometimes. I mean, obviously, director's cuts have been a thing for a long time. But, then I, you know, I remember in the 90s, like once in a while, you'd see like a producer's cut. Right. Now we're getting like composer's cuts. Like, <laughs> who yeah. has the right you know, in the film production to have their own cut. Like, will there be a gaffer's cut someday? You know, a catering <laughs> uh, cut, you know? I made that exact joke. I When we were in the theater, I said, I, I'm looking forward to watching City of the Living Dead, the gaffer's cut. <laughs> What's well, going to so, be gaffer? It's either yeah. gaffer or best boy. If, if you're trying to pull a funny <laughs> crew name, it's going to yeah. be one of those. But to be fair, cut, I guess, is a, I mean, that's how it was advertised, but I think that's the wrong word because the film itself was not, edited any differently it was just again the score was re-recorded so that's the only thing that was different i mean i I feel like it it is kind of a a clever move in a way when you think about these movies and like what people love about italian horror movies the soundtracks are a huge component so if you advertise it as like hey this is going to sound better than it's ever sounded i can see that you know putting some butts in seats yeah, for sure. Especially on those big theater speakers, it was it was quite kicking. I mean, it was one of those things where whenever the soundtrack kicked in, you know, I found myself nodding my head, ready to rock out. Sometimes it's hard not to with those Italian grooves. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, outside the theater, I did watch a new movie. I watched uh, the killer robot movie Megan. Uh, the unrated cut that dropped on Peacock this week. Hell yeah! I haven't yeah. watched that unrated cut yet. Yeah, I mean, about it. I mean, it was all right. It, I didn't think it was. I mean, it was. I liked it, but I, you know, I didn't love it. It was pretty much exactly what I expected, and 
obviously it's, you know, very heavy handed in terms of like, it's, it's really like, you know, going for the whole, you know, are our devices raising our children instead of us, you know, kind of messaging. But uh, overall, it was, I thought it was cool, cool special effects. And yeah, I mean, I could tell it was the unrated cut. There was a couple extra fucks, maybe a little bit more gore. I don't really, I mean, I didn't see it in the theater, so I don't know what's all different. But um, yeah, I thought it was, I mean, it, it was a fun kind of, you know, Friday evening watch, you know. I, it's not like I'm going to run out and I didn't, you know, obviously didn't have enough interest to see it in the theater. Um, but yeah, if you, if you got an extra 90 minutes to kill, it's on Peacock. I think it's worth watching. I do have Peacock and, and I should watch that. And in fact, I think it was on Peacock. I believe it was on Peacock this past week that I watched. Uh, and speaking of killer robots and, you know, Italian gore fest, I watched Sophie's Choice. Oh. 1982 Meryl Streep, Kevin okay. Klein, uh, you know, drama. Academy Award winning, uh, and I loved it. It was great. It has nothing to do with this podcast or anybody listening should probably disregard that I even said that, but that is the truth. I watched it and loved it. When you were you know, browsing through the movies to watch, did it come down between that movie and another movie to watch? Yeah, and it, it was like choosing between my children and, and <laughs> handing one of them over to the Nazis. I thought so. <laughs> well, yeah, it's one of those things that like, even if you've never seen that movie, the term has like worked its way into the lexicon where everything is a real Sophie's choice when you're deciding between two things. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for my whole life I had heard that phrase and I kind of knew a little bit about the plot, but I was like, I should probably actually see this movie. And you know, it's, it had such a big impact on the culture in, in a way, but I mean, honestly, probably the the main reason that I watched it is just that I have a huge crush on early eighties, Meryl Streep, something about that lady where she's just, I don't know, in, enchanting i guess is the word but she was great and kevin klein his feature debut in an incredible performance a guy who i never really even cared about i've seen him in some things and i'm like all right he's just a dude seems kind of nondescript but in this movie he's like a maniac and he's really good at it i mean he was charismatic enough to uh bag phoebe cates so she must be doing yeah. something right yeah and i think i think they're still together so good for them well, nice what about you bum and you watch anything exciting this week um, not really. I went, I don't know. I don't think I mentioned this last week, but I saw that new Ant-Man movie when it came out. Oh, the quantum mania, um, the quantum mania. I've been getting hyped. As I, I mentioned to Sean before the show, I've been reading a lot of the, o, the OG Ant-Man comics, getting hyped for this new Ant-Man movie. Cause I like Ant-Man, you know, he's like a, a cute guy. So, but I didn't care for the new movie. Didn't care for it. So, really? Yeah. Quantum mania Saturday and Sunday. Didn't appeal to you? I don't understand your reference. It's, it's a WrestleMania Saturday and Sunday kind of reference. I was <laughs> you watching too at, much. I was, I was looking at WrestleMania tickets earlier. I still can't afford them, but yeah. Oh my god, you're watching too much wrestling out there. That's true. Um, but yeah, no, nah, I don't know. It wasn't good. I, I imagine that some people might like it. It's like a super weird movie, but uh, it just wasn't for me. I like Ant Man doing low stake stuff. I like him robbing a bank or whatever. I don't like him fighting weird alien interdimensional demon monsters on a different planet but well and if you could i'd appreciate it if you'd pronounce it like the hillbilly kid at the drive-in ain't main (laughs) ain't main (laughs) yeah i saw the first one at the drive-in and i remember there was a hillbilly kid so excited like we're gonna see ain't main we're gonna see ain't man (laughs) Uh, i like that 
Hopefully they start calling him that in the movies. Hopefully he gets like a sidekick that's from Appalachia. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. How's that Michael Douglas doing in those movies? Is he? Uh, does he seem like he's capable of acting still? That dude's going to be like 100, right? Yeah, a little bit. He's good in the first two, but in this one, like, in this one, the whole thing takes place in the quantum realm, which is, you know, like another dimension. So it's like all green screen acting, basically. And he seems a little bit lost there. Yeah. But I like him in those movies. I mean, I like uh, I like Hank Pym as a character, and I think he's a fun, curmudgeonly old man. So usually he's good, but not not really in this one. You can't put a hundred year old man in a green screen situation. I mean, that's that's kind of rude. At least give yeah. him the common courtesy of a, of an actor to act alongside. You know. True. Yeah. I mean, he 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 definitely acts with a lot of CGI ants, but he also gets to hang out with Michelle Pfeiffer for a while. So maybe that was why he seemed. Out of it. Maybe he was just hanging out with too foxy of a lady and it, it blew his mind. Although this is the guy that got throat cancer from eating Catherine Zeta Jones uh-huh. pussy. That's true. Yeah, he's old headed hanging out with hot chicks. And never mind. It must have been the green screen that screwed him up after all. All right. Well, you want to see what kind of uh, diseases people out in there in Junk Food Dinnerland have been getting this week? Speaking of dead and or sick, before we get into these voicemails, I just wanted to shout out my uh, my little pet cat over here who is... Still alive, not dead. Oh yeah, yeah. You doing all right? Uh, it's a challenge. It's, uh, we're like three vet trips in. He doesn't like the solid food as much, but we've converted him to a like a gravy juice kind of a thing that he's into. So Ooh, gravy juice, my favorite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he's yeah, he's, he's doing okay. I think he's on the mend. So we just got to figure out what we're going to do with this guy later. Uh, you know, once he's fully uh, back to uh, back to good health. Very nice. Well, you're doing the Lord's work. Yeah. I, I, you know, I figured I should shout it out just in case, like, you know, Mr. Brian in New York was out there worrying about the cats. or and I know the listeners care about these guys, so they're doing oh, fine. Good to hear. Mm-hmm. All right, Bowman, po- po- hit me with a V-mail. Oh, yeah, we got one right here. Hey, guys. It's Portland Paul. Hey, we hey. have changes coming up with uh, Patreon. It had me taking a look back down memory lane at all the Patreon picks I managed to get over the years so i've been a dom deloise member since the very beginning and uh i think i got my money's worth guys i had 10 picks since the beginning of dom deloise action uh just just to run down a few of them i think i had at least two bangers out of those 10 uh i've had uh two movies that completely angered uh, Kevin. Uh, I've had um, a couple movies that I think you guys all three hated. Let's just do a quick walkthrough. Pick number one, episode 383, Lady in a Cage. Banger. You guys hadn't heard of this movie. Uh, Kevin thought it was like some weird lady in prison film from the Philippines, so he avoided it for a while. But I think when you guys finally picked it, you all agreed that it was great. One of my favorites. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, right after that, uh, episode 387, I think I sneaked in some Halloween action with the Manitou. Oh. Uh, you guys thought it was a little slow at the beginning, but uh, it's got a batshit ending with boo blazers, so uh, that kind of helps. Phase 4, episode 452, the Saul oh. Bass Ant Project. Uh most of you guys said it was pretty boring and slow. Sean maybe liked it. Uh, episode 467, 
River's Edge. This is one of the movies that made Kevin really mad because of his hatred oh. for actor Joshua John Miller. Really? Uh, after that, I made Kevin mad once again with episode uh, 538 with my pick, Lose. And I remember Kevin uh, stating that he yelled at the screen for the character to say your goddamn line already. Uh, after that, I think I picked another banger, guys. Dark Town Strutters. Episode 551. Nice. I think we can all agree that uh, live-action cartoon movie was pretty great. Uh, after that, I picked a movie everyone hated. Uh, episode 589, Banshee Chapter. Uh, I think oh, yeah, that's this movie disgusted Parker. Uh, Sean said it was not for him, and Kevin hated it. Okay. Coming up closer to my last three picks here. Uh Episode 596, Emmanuel in America. This is the movie oh, that boy. made uh-huh. Sean call me a super ghoul. <laughs> and when the guy that did the translation for uh, Niku Dharma calls you that, maybe it's time to question your life choices. It's both. That is the Beyond, episode 624. Uh-oh. Was he a victim of the three-minute rule? Seems like it, but he didn't call back. He knows the rules. He's a man who pays oh. attention to the letter of the law. Yeah, either that or he got sucked into the beyond himself. <laughs> that could be. Well, thank you, Paul, for your, your patronage over the years. And yeah, good picks. I, I will clarify, I like River's Edge. In fact, I saw it last summer at the drive-in as part of the Pandemonium Picture Show at the Skyline Drive-In. And I think I loved it even more on the second time around. So I like that movie. I still hate Joshua John Miller. He is a creepy kid. No denying that. But he's in movies that I like. He's in Class of 1999, he's in Near Dark, he's in Teen Witch, all movies that I enjoy, but his oh. creepy ass. It's the the little kid from Near Dark, is that who we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's fine, I mean, you can't blame a kid for his jeans. But what about his sweatpants? <laughs> fair, fair, <laughs> very fair. Um, quite an array, though, of films that he picked, right? Yeah. Oh. I like that he swings for the fences. They might not always play. In some cases, they're downright terrible, but I like that he, he goes for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and Paul's active in the Discord. The, the man has good taste. There's no question. So thank you, mm-hmm. sir. I concur. Very nice. Oh, Also, I didn't hate Banshee Chapter as much as you guys did. I, I just found the fact that they throw in a Hunter S. Thompson character and then make him shoot himself in the head, like, pretty tacky. Kind of a tacky move for a low-budget found footage horror movie. Yeah. Uh, we have any more voicemails? That's all for this week. All right. Well, thank you, Paul, for calling in. If you'd like to be like Paul and leave a message on the Junk for Dinner voicemail line, please give us a call at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Let us know what you think about the show. Let us know your favorite weird movies or uh, just call to say hello. All right. That being said, let's get into some nerd news. From the global resources of junk food dinner worldwide, it's time for nerd news. Uh, the first piece of nerd news that I have is that one movie I didn't see this weekend. Was the number one movie in the country, and that is Cocaine Bear, which brought home twenty-three million dollars its opening weekend in the United States. Not too shabby for a movie called Cocaine Bear. 
Uh, I think a lot of people are seeing this movie uh, just based on title alone, maybe not even really knowing much about it, but you put Cocaine Bear on a marquee, and apparently people are going to show up. Uh, This was directed by Elizabeth Banks. It's a horror comedy. It's based on a true story about a bear who ingested cocaine that was being smuggled and uh and and died subsequently but in this version before the bear dies it goes on a coke fueled rampage and who hasn't been there uh the the real cocaine bear by the way two hours south of me in lexington kentucky uh the real cocaine bear's carcass has been stuffed and is on display uh, in in lexington lexington kentucky even though the the cocaine incident i believe happened in tennessee uh, but if you ever get a chance and you're down in Lexington, go check out the uh, the 175-pound black bear stuffed with a big uh, chain around its neck and a plaque declaring it the uh, the 1985 cocaine bear. Is it really the cocaine bear? Who's to say? Could just be some bear. But that's what they're, th- they're saying. And people are now, because of this movie, going down to Lexington and... Uh, and like laying gifts at the uh, the altar of this cocaine bear. So go figure. Hopefully the gifts are not cocaine because I'm guessing they would get snatched up. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting that cocaine bear took him the top seat of the box office, especially being in direct competition with uh, ain't main who came in number two. <laughs> uh, but uh, also I just wanted to mention not to be outdone to find people at asylum are going to be releasing their own cocaine bear mockbuster in the form of meth gator. What? So yeah, leave it to the folks. That, you know, asylum, they're the ones that release their mockbusters. wherever there's a big movie like transformers, they release transmorphers, you know, something. Sure. So, uh, apparently they want to get on the, uh, the gacked out animal train and now they're, they're releasing uh, attack of the meth gator. So look for that. On shelves at your local family video very soon. <laughs> now, any word whether or not the folks at Asylum have also been in the real world feeding meth to gators so that they could claim this was based on a true story? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I'm sure if you stretch the truth enough, there's probably a meth gator incident somewhere. I mean, in the state of Florida alone. Yeah. And if not, I mean, happened. It- I think the marketing budget on a feature like this could cover that, right? <laughs> How much does meth cost anyways? Indeed. But uh yeah, what do you what do you guys think? Do you have any interest in seeing Cocaine Bear or is this just the snakes on a plane for our generation? <laughs> um <laughs> it's it is I think the final film role of Ray Liotta. So if you want to pay respects to that oh, man, you, yeah. can, you can check that out. It's also got Carrie Russell. And uh, Ice Cube's son, O'Shea Jackson Jr. So, uh, what do you guys think? Are you gonna are you gonna see the Cocaine Bear? Um, I wasn't too hyped on it because I, I was saying this to Sean earlier. Like Elizabeth Banks did that really bad um, Charlie's Angels reboot, so I don't know if I trust oh, yeah. her as a director. But I'm looking at the rest of this list, and Jimmy Warden wrote it, and he wrote the babysitter, the babysitter killer queen, that Netflix movie, and I like that. And it was produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who uh, did Clone High and the 21 Jump Street movies and uh, Into the Spider-Verse. And I love those guys deeply. So maybe maybe I will see it now. Also, I love cocaine and bears. <laughs> yeah, back in the uh, 
Studio 54 days, Cocaine Bear had a whole different meaning. <laughs> I feel like I would see this, and, and I feel like I would probably enjoy this. Like it, I, I know from a distance it maybe does seem like kind of a like a snakes on the plane, like a deliberate attempt to make a cult movie that's kind of a little bit corny. But if it's fun and funny and there's a bear rampaging, I don't know, maybe I'm just that dumb that that sounds appealing to me. But uh, I don't know. I, I can imagine giggling at this. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. What about Meth Gator? What are your odds of watching that? Um, I'm actually already watching it right now, and it's great. It's great, <laughs> Kevin Moss. Fair enough. I respect that Asylum is doing something that's similar but different. Because like, I feel like the Asylum of 15 years ago would have just done like um, – you know, yeah, like crack grizzly. Yeah, something like exactly the same to trick people. So I'm glad that they're kind of same but different. Same but different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking about doing that news, so I don't have any news to contribute. So what in the hell? I that was your only news story? That's the only thing that's happened this week, Bowman? Yeah. What else has happened this week? Well, you could relay that news story about Chalky and Geezer playing in Fresno. Well, just read, read that to the audience. I'll just yeah, I'll read my story that I wrote to them. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, I I do have some some news, kind of. Although I guess I shouldn't uh, be criticizing you too much because it's just a Blu-ray pick. It's not an actual news story. Uh, but my Blu-ray pick is that Nudist Life is coming out on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber and Something Weird Video. Uh, this disc will also include two bonus features. 10 Days in a Nudist Camp, and Shangri-La are the two bonus features, uh, plus six extra shorts. Uh, the copy here says, Today's viewers may be baffled by the cinematic atrocities that mid-century filmgoers had to endure in order to witness naked bodies on screen. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, these movies sound kind of fun. Um, in Dick Randall's Shangri-La, former Jerry Lewis impersonator Sammy Petrello provides loads of cringe-inducing laughs while he lasciviously eyeballs the sun worshippers. Sounds <laughs> kind of cool. Uh, the other features are pretty much what you would think. Uh, nudist life follows a quintet, a quintet of ringers in a Florida nudist colony. Ten days in a nudist camp is a reworking and expansion of this nude world which was a 1932 nudist film. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I've never seen any of these and they're probably not the most exciting watches in 2023, but I love the fact that this kind of, you know, mid-century sleaze is still getting preserved and released. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, pay my respects to the sleaze merchants of the world for keeping this stuff alive. But uh, Kevin Moss, have you seen nudist life or, or any of these or, Based on our experiences with Nude on the Moon, would you be open to some more mid-century nudie picks? Yeah, I I would be – I don't know. These things, they're always kind of like better in theory than they are in practice. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of this. I, I love that they – like you said, like they're getting uh, restorations and nice Blu-rays and that these are being preserved for future generations to uh, to check out. But yeah, to be completely honest, I mean a lot of these movies, are especially – through today's lens are pretty boring and pretty, I don't know, does not hold a lot of eroticism either. I mean, like they said in the article, a lot of these were, you know, just excuses for people to see nudity back in the day when that was 
quite the novelty, but now that you can, you know, literally, you know, see nudity and pornography everywhere, like there's not, and, and like there's something charming about them and quaint and fun, but that only lasts about usually about five minutes of these. Like I would like to see maybe like a, like a mixtape of like the best moments of these nudie. Yeah. Nudist camp movies, but yeah, I don't know if I need a whole box set. But I'm glad or, it's out there in case or, I do. Know, maybe if you're making a music video for your friend's rockabilly band, you know, and it's going to be on YouTube and you can do a red band version or something, throw some of these 1960s tits in there. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm-hmm. That's the best place to see them. Yeah. YouTube. <laughs> YouTube with rockabilly in the background. Yeah, for three seconds at a time. But now those pixels are out there and people can do that. So. Get on it. Very nice. All right. Well, I think on that note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to jump into our first weird-ass short film of the evening. And that is Where Evil Dwells from 1985. So stick around. Not following junk food dinner on social media is your worst nightmare, butthorn. Be their friend on the internet. They're miserable, lonely men with no delights to pass away the time. Search for Junk Food Dinner on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and every day can be like a slumber party with your JFD pals. Promise I'm not an evil man I'll send you 
with me. Uh, uh, hey, what's those bells? Hey, must be the Avon lady. Yeah, hey, Avon calling. Uh, maybe it's a Tupperware party. <laughs> Come here, Tupperware lady. <laughs> I got something for you. <laughs> what's going on to this? <laughs> what's this? The hunchback of Notre Dame? <laughs> Come in, hunch. Ah, Quasimodo! Ah! I'm glad I got rid of that idiot. Hey, Double Duty, what happened to David? <laughs> Couldn't handle it, huh? Hey, watch where you're pointing that big man at shot. Yeah, I just shot it. Hey, uh, Double, uh, look, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, wait Junk Food Dinner, the first short film that we're going to be taking a look at on the show this evening, is Where Evil Dwells from 1985. This is an extremely low-budget, avant-garde, black-and-white, I believe 16, maybe even 8-millimeter film uh, shot and uh, directed by Tommy Turner and David Wanarovich. These two guys were part of the New York City transgressive film scene at the time. Uh, I don't know a ton about Tommy Turner, but David Wanarovich, David Wanarovich is a pretty huge figure in the New York art scene in the 1980s. He was also a pretty well-known uh, gay rights and AIDS reform activist of the time. And uh, in fact, in preparation for this uh talking about the short film uh, at the suggestion of a friend of the show, Justin, I watched the recent documentary uh, Wanarovich that came out and it was really good. And it's a really cool expose on his life and his career as an artist in New York city. Um, but I have a feeling that this film is not uh, something that is a particular feather in his cap because they didn't even mention this movie in that documentary. Uh, but I did watch another documentary where this was mentioned. I watched the acid King documentary, which is a documentary about Ricky Casso and the 1984 murders, uh, and the satanic panic that followed. And Tommy Turner is, he was the acid King. Indeed. Tommy Turner is interviewed in that, and they talk about this film, as well as uh, Jim Van Beber, who directed My Sweet Satan, and uh, uh, the lead singer of Weedus, who apparently uh, went to school with Rick Casso. And I, I found out that the song Teenage Dirtbag was inspired by the Ricky Casso uh, oh. incident. Very strange. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, this is a short film inspired by the 1984 Long Island uh, murder of uh, young boy Gary uh, Lars, Lars, uh, done by Ricky Casso. And then that was um, sensationalized in the news because there was elements of Satanism. And uh, it was rumored that the, the killing was maybe satanic in nature. And that, like I said, kicked off a whole lot of satanic panic. And obviously the, the incident was a, a big inspiration for a lot of people. I mean, Sonic youth wrote songs about it. Like I said, that song, teenage dirtbag. Uh, and we talked about the, the Jim or the, not Jim, Winorsky, the uh, Jim Van Beber 
uh, short film, My Sweet Satan, uh, back on a short films week several years ago uh, that was based on that incident. And um, another movie that we did on the short films week that is kind of related is uh, Richard Kern's I Killed You First uh, that we did on the show. And that is related because David Wanarovich plays the dad in that one. So if you recall that, that's David in the, in the in the role of the dad. But anyway, this is this started off as it was intended to be a full length kind of experimental feature based on the incidents of the Ricky Casso murder case. And they shot a bunch of stuff. And again, I don't know how much David Wanarovich was involved. Uh, Tommy Turner in the Acid King documentary says that at the time, David Wanarovich had already been diagnosed with AIDS and was already kind of, um, you know, being, you know, bedridden for some of the time so I, I i get the sense that it was more of a tommy turner project than a david david project but uh they they wanted to like i said kind of do a surreal uh kind of loose telling of that story and the, if you didn't know that you, you would probably not even really put that together just by the end product because what ended up happening is they shot a bunch of stuff they put together like a 30 minute what they were calling like a preview or a trailer, I guess, trying to maybe entice some investors uh, or, you know, get people to exhibit it. And one night, Tommy Turner in his apartment had a candle burning. Uh, the candle burst, set a bunch of his books on fire, and in addition, uh, set a bunch of the film on fire that they had shot. So all that was left was this 30 minute trailer that they had put together. And that is what now exists as this short film. Uh, it is a very weird, uh, very kind of, uh, avant-garde, you know, New York city transgressive film kind of thing where it, like I said, it's summer kind of, uh, it's all, like I said, all in black and white, very stark contrast. The contrast turned up all the way. Uh, you get things like, uh, a guy with a, uh, ventriloquist dummy, uh, that, that stabs him. You got a, a guy, uh, with, uh, his, an eyeball hanging out and blood dripping down his face. Uh, you do have some dirtbag teens, uh, pulling some pranks. They pull the old, uh, throw a dummy off a, bridge into oncoming traffic prank oh my god yeah uh then you've got um like a dude dressed like jesus and a bunch of just kind of weird stuff uh they do use a lot of copyrighted music which probably has prevented this from ever getting a official release on home video uh they use acdc's highway to hell or no not highway to hell hell's bells um several times throughout again in reference to Ricky Casso, who was arrested wearing an ACDC shirt. Um, they also use a Venom song. Uh, there's also like an industrial song that is the, the, that is the, the theme song that they use a couple times and the music in it. I mean, obviously is pretty cool. And, uh, the movie itself, uh, you know, again, it's doesn't really have any sort of plot. It's, it's all very kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, more atmospheric and avant-garde. It, you do feel, you know, it, it, I will say, even watching the kind of crummy, 
version that's on YouTube, uh, you, you are kind of transported to a weird headspace watching this. And I can only imagine it's even enhanced if you were to see this in a dark theater, uh, because the, the images and, and everything, the way it's shot, it does kind of, kind of mess with your brain and it, it kind of makes you, takes you to another place. Uh, and so while it doesn't make for like a great, you know, it's not really a, an interesting, you're not really going to glean anything about the Ricky Casso murder in from this. In fact, like I said, if you didn't know about it, you could very easily watch this and not even know that that's what inspired it. But it is a very weird film. I mean, there's definitely chunks of this that, you know, we always talk about would be great projected behind a band. This is the ultimate project behind mm-hmm. a band kind of thing. Um, if you like stuff like John Waters, early stuff like Mondo Trasho, um, you might be into this. If you like that, the Richard Kern, uh, New York City's uh, transgressive cinema kind of stuff, you could, uh, could definitely enjoy this. And I honestly, I mean, if you watch it like a 30 minute kind of like music video or like, I don't know, just kind of take it for what it is. I think you can definitely enjoy this. I, I know I did certainly not for everyone, certainly very weird and probably, you know, if watched not in the right setting, possibly pretty annoying, but to me, I liked it. I was glad I watched it. Um, again, I mean, it's crazy how much media and influence this uh ricky casso case and the satanic panic that followed had it seemed like that's all anybody wanted to talk about in the mid 80s but uh here's another example of that and i i thought it was interesting oh one of the guys i think it's the guy that plays jesus in this is uh famous uh new york actor rocket red glare do you know this guy or rockets red glare yeah, I think we might have talked about him briefly when we reviewed After Hours because I think he's he's in that too. But yeah, he was he's it's certainly a, a local weirdo in the New York scene, friends with Steve Buscemi and, and a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably his most famous role is he plays the hotel clerk in Big when Tom Hanks checks into that shitty motel at the in Big. He's the the clerk in that, but yeah, he is definitely a local New York weirdo and shows up in a lot of weird stuff, but yeah, I think he plays Jesus in this. And so, yeah, that's uh, worth checking out, but yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a weird one for sure. Definitely a, uh, you know, more of a, a head trip than, <laughs> than a movie, but uh, I'd say definitely worth a watch. It's, it's currently up on YouTube in its entirety um, I did see this available to be booked at theaters, um, which I, I find interesting. So maybe if of a cool weirdo theater, uh, maybe they'll play this as part of a film festival or something. But uh, definitely a weird one. But what did you guys think of Where Evil Dwells? This certainly seems like the kind of movie that you could enjoy at a place like the Spectacle Theater, maybe from the comfort of the bathroom, you know, taking a dump <laughs> while this plays, you know, right in front of you on that screen. Um not a movie that I was familiar with before this, didn't know anything about this. Um, but, you know, as it started, I did look it up a little bit online and kind of got that, you know, the basic backstory, you know, some of the stuff that you mentioned, you know, it being based on the real killings and, you know, the My Sweet Satan connection and all that stuff. And I, you know, I didn't love Van Bever's My Sweet Satan, so I, I was not expecting to love this as it started. Uh, but, I, you know, I'll start off with some positives about this. Um 
I kind of like that visual of the ventriloquist act, you know, where the, the human is slumped over just like a dummy would be, you know, but the human slumped over, not because he's a dummy, but because he's been brutally murdered, you know, that's kind of fun. I, I feel like I've probably seen that in a dozen other places, but it's still kind of fun. And I kind of enjoyed it. But I guess my main reaction to this is just sort of like, I don't know how I'm supposed to react to this. Like, is this supposed to scare me? Uh, like, is this supposed to be a frightening little slice of terror? Uh, it didn't hit me that way. Like, you know, and it's got these extremely DIY visuals, you know, that I think could lend you towards like a tone of it feeling like a real snuff film if they hadn't like just like from top to bo bottom covered this in music. Like you said, like if it, if it wasn't ACDC from start to finish, you might be convinced into thinking that this was something you know, it, it would feel like a, like a found footage kind of a thing, but instead it's like, they're making all these jokes with this dummy and they're, and they're playing hell's bells over and over again. And so watching this, like there wasn't a moment through this entire 30 minute runtime where I wasn't thinking to myself, well, these kids like to, you know, torture their friends for fun. You know, I, I guess that's their idea of a fun weekend is just kind of doing this fake torture stuff to each other. And, and fine. I mean, that doesn't like, bother me or anything like I'm not like this is you know this is an attempt to be transgressive and I guess it kind of is but I also feel like by 1985 like fake torturing your friends in a warehouse with some crummy camera is that really that transgressive I, I don't know maybe I've just seen too many August undergrounds by now but I was I wasn't impressed by this and, and you know not to sound like a square but I don't love these kids playing in real traffic. Like that moment with the dummy on the bridge and they drop the dummy on the, onto the real freeway. I'm sure that they took hopefully some precautions to ensure that they didn't drop it while there were other, you know, cars around, but I can't be too sure. I mean, based on, you know, what else I've seen in this, it feels like, the, you know, th those kind of antics very easily could have led to a, a car accident, which, you know, again, I, I sound like a square bemoaning the fact that these kids could have caused a car accident, but when it's in service of something this kind of weak, I'm like, it, it was not worth like that kind of a risk. Uh, I think there's also maybe some animal cruelty on screen, but I couldn't really make out the pixels to be fully sure on that. Um, well, to go back to the bridge thing, I agree. Like if you're doing something where like you and your friends are, are filming something on a bridge and like, maybe you're going to kick your friend in the nuts and like pee on him and then throw him off a bridge. Like that's worth it to cause maybe a car accident. <laughs> this stupid shit is not worth it. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing there other than, Oh, we dropped a dummy off a bridge onto our <laughs> friend's car as he's driving across, you know, the street. But th there are other cars on that road at the time. I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel good about that whole thing. And then, um, I don't know, like just, it, it felt try hard to me. And, and I feel like I, I can imagine the sort of folks that would show up to this in like a tiny little theater in mid eighties, New York city, like trying to, you know, like, like people who are like so hooked on the idea of being cool that they'll waste time on something like this, like trying to convince themselves that like seeing this is somehow more valuable than seeing an actual real movie that people put time and effort into and who had skill. Um, I, I will say that some of this footage does have like aesthetic value, you know, and maybe in the hands of like a talented editor, you could maybe combine a few minutes of this stuff, you know, like maybe with some cool robot footage from survival research laboratories or something like that. 
And it might add up to like an interesting, grimy little music video, but man, at, at 30 minutes of this, I, I felt like I, I got the idea about two minutes into it. So this would, again, you know, going back to uh, the Banshee chapter or whatever, this was not for me, but I will say at the same time, even if I don't like watching this, I do like that these guys got to make this, you know, that they had a run at expressing themselves assuming that they didn't actually hurt anybody. You know, this just kind of nets out to a slight waste of time for everybody involved. But what is time for, if not for wasting, right? So, yeah, uh, they did a thing, and I watched it. Yeah, I definitely agree that they did a thing. I also agree that I watched it as well. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know. That's about it. That's really all I have to say. (laughs) say about this movie it's like it's kind of like sean said like if if you watch the first three minutes and you've watched it all uh which is perhaps something that we can say of another movie later um but but we can definitely say it of this movie uh it's just really one note and it's just really like like i like a lot of edgy stuff uh but this is not the kind of edginess i like where it's like I don't know, dudes thinking that they're really like cool evoking satan you know like trying to freak out the squares with their their grainy black and white footage of like a baby getting eaten or what, you know, like a guy with like a goat's head. Like that's just not because in what universe does a square even see this movie? You know what I mean? Like, like, and I agree with you. Like there is this kind of attitude of like, yeah, let's, let's stick it to the man and let's, let's freak out the squares. The only people that will ever see this are your friends and brain damaged weirdos like us that are like scouring <laughs> for the most perverted shit on the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like the only people who would ever see this are like the people who want to see this. So yeah, you're not really, you're not going to freak out any squares. Um, and you're probably not going to freak out anybody who's going to watch this because I would imagine that most people who've watched this are people like us and would be like, Oh, well I've seen, you know, Others, you know, I mean, I, I've, you know, you invoked August Underground and that's what this reminded me of too. And obviously August Underground came like 10 years after this or whatever, but like, yeah, I was like, why watch this when August Underground exists? Like, it's the same kind of thing, just filmed a little bit better. And there's like a little bit of a story. Uh, and I think there's like a boob or two, you know, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, and I mean, I'm, you know, and like, in like stuff before this it's like if you want to watch something that's supposed to like freak you out religiously like there's like a lot of those ken russell movies you can watch that like do a lot better than this yeah or i mean like solo had a plot you know yeah and i mean not that you necessarily like super need a plot to to do something like this but like yeah a lot of the movies that that are you know that are freakier and like hit you with some sort of transgressive message message that happen to have plots a lot of the time. Um, it's easier to kind of disturb somebody with like a, a with a, a, a spooky message. I think if you also have a plot uh, because, you know, you got to ground it in something like, I don't know that anybody would watch this and walk away from it being like, Oh man, that guy was yeah, the horns on his head. I, I don't know. <laughs> how am I going to go to work tomorrow? You know, to where I was like, if you watch silo, you go, Oh my God, like, how am I going to go to work tomorrow? Knowing that the upper echelon of society is eating shit all the time. Like this movie makes a great point. How can I go to work tomorrow? Like, so 
but there's nothing like that in here. Like we're it's like grounded in anything that's going to make you think about anything, even though that's what I think that they're trying to do. Um, well, forget what they're trying to do. Like, uh, I think you guys are harping a little bit too much on like what you think the intention of this is. I, uh, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't think you can get too hung up on that. I think you got to take it for what it is, which is kind of just this weirdo art film. And I think if you take it at that, I, I don't know. I think there, there's more to be gleaned than I think you guys are giving credit for. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, like I said, I'm glad that this exists. I'm glad that these guys had a chance to make this. If I was walking through a New York City art gallery in 1985 and this was playing in one corner, I would keep walking. I'm 99% sure. Like, I, I, there's just nothing. I don't. I didn't learn anything about the people involved in this by watching it. Like, I get no sense of any person in this. You know, like, you don't know these people or meet these people. They don't develop like n- not as human beings or as characters. Right, but I don't think that's the point. I mean, I think again to me this felt like you know you're flipping the channels late at night. You come across the weird public access station, and it's the time of night that the weird like metal kids have got their you know weird public access <laughs> show and they're fucking around and it's like I, I i like that like like i said you watch this in the right headspace in the right atmosphere I, I, it feels like that to me and i think that can be enjoyable and also i forgot to mention i love the end credits it's that skull mask with like the tongue with the credits you, written on it you like that end. dime store halloween mask <laughs> yeah dude come on that's totally <laughs> It's totally my style. I I don't know. I, you know, again, I I don't know how serious you can take this. I wouldn't try to read too much into it. I mean, I think the fact that it it maybe took inspiration from the Ricky Casso thing might be giving you guys a sense that it's trying to say more than it actually is. I think they just took that as a jumping off point and then just went nuts with weirdness. And I don't know. I think it's... You know, I don't, I mean, it's, like I said, it's weird, it's disjointed, it's, you're not going to take away any sort of, like, great message from it. But as far as just, I like I said, I, in in the sense of just taking you to a weird, another place mentally, it did that to me. So, yeah, I feel like it was fair. successful. Yeah, I can, I, I can agree to that point, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where there are not, even though we compared this to Solo or you know August Underground or other things, there aren't a ton of things that are like this, and so it does have some inherent value just in the fact that these guys made this thing that kind of looks semi-distinctive, you know. Yeah, and like I said, I, I kind of went a deep dive in this. I watched, like I said, I watched those two documentaries, and I think those are both worthwhile. If yeah. if nothing else, I would definitely recommend. The Wanarovich documentary and the Acid King documentary. They're both pretty recent. I think they both came out within the last couple of years. They're both streaming for free. I think the Wanarovich one's on Canopy and the Acid King's on Tubi. Check those out for a little bit deeper dive into the similar subject matter. But um, but yeah, this is on YouTube as well if you want to, to check it out. But uh, I think that wraps it up for Where Evil Dwells. Uh, We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into our second weirdo feature short film of the evening. That is The Price Master from 2001, so stick around. Tell your friends about junk food dinner. I just hate them so much! 
Nobody likes this crap. They're just pretending. They're just, oh, I like David Lynch. Oh, well, look at me. I got the most out of print records you ever saw in your life. Tell your friends. Oh. Tell your friends about junk food dinner. Oh, that David Lynch. No one likes him. Find a rambling rose and a picket fence. Tenderness and innocence in Denton. You'll find conference rooms and a children's playground. Denton is a real okay town. Civic pride and civic duty. And Denton girls are full of beauty. Oh, you're 
Welcome back to Junkfied Schlitzy. The next Schlitzy on this short film Schlitzy is The Price Master. This is a movie from 2001 directed by Richard Perry and Wes Martin. Um, this is a movie that I had never heard of until about a month ago. Uh, Mike, uh, Dick from, from all the other podcasts, uh, he, um, he suggested that we do this. I said, yes, sure. I clicked on the YouTube link and I saw this guy's weird golden mask. I said, sure. Why not? This sounds good to me. This, uh, just based on one second of this guy's face. I'm in, I don't know what this is or what it's going to be, but I'm in. Um, so I've been waiting since then to watch this. Basically you were hyped to watch a movie that starred the shock master. Pretty much. I do love the shock master. Uh, and I do love the time that the price master teamed up with sting to face Lex Luger. (laughs) Uh, Whoever was in that match. Um, so, so this, according to letterbox, here's the letterbox synopsis. Uh, everything is for sale. Make me an offer. The wonderful mantras of the prophet of cap of captive market capitalism, i.e. American style corporate cap- capitalism, echo pertinently on a crisp winter day in Denton, Texas. The newborn hours of the great decisive 21st century members of the hollowed fast house look on and document the unfolding. Uh, what that translates into is that some guys had a yard sale. And one of the guys was dressed up in a weird suit that made him kind of look like a robot. And he would just shout out prices of things for, for a half an hour. That's what happened here. Um, I guess it could sort of be some sort of a criticism or satirization of <laughs> capitalism, but that's, give, probably- <laughs> that's given a lot of credit. Well, do you think that he looked like a robot or I feel like, and I'm not sure, but I feel like that mask is like a, is that like a Japanese like folk art kind of a thing? Like he almost looked like a dude from Himiko or something, you know, with, with his dance moves and that mask. Uh, I thought he was intentionally moving in a robotic way, but yeah, he does sort of like, he's got, the mask has like that big, long, like nose and like a big brow. So it does sort of look like, yeah, kind of like an Oni demon or something like a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's also very metallic, like a robot too. Um, but yeah. One so thing people, that we do know is that he's got hammer pants. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best part. So here in Denton, Texas, which is the setting of uh, shock treatment and is also the home of the riverboat gamblers, one of the best bands in the world. Um, people are showing up in the morning for this and they'll be like, Hey, how much is this? And then he'll just shout out some kind of like, well, he won't shout it out. He's got like this microphone that like sounds like the voice of God or something like that. And he'll very slowly say $14 billion. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. And then people don't know what to think of this. I thought you and had that, the price master sound effect on your microphone. You don't have that filter. Oh, let me check. I think I do actually. Don't, don't. I shouldn't encourage him. This, this was a mistake. I got it right here. Let's see. Um, maybe I got it. Uh, $14,000. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's pretty much right. I think. It's getting closer. Oh, that's, I don't know what else I get. I'll figure it. It was perfect. (laughs) 
All right. Fix it in post. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. Um, and so, yeah. And people are like, just very confused by this. And, and sometimes he'll shout out to make him an offer, which I think is very funny. Um, and I don't, so yeah, so this is, it's funny to do this. Like it's a funny gag to kind of play on the neighbors, but, um, but there are two things that kind of bum me out about it. One is that the prices are way too high a lot of the time to be funny. Uh, like, you know, he'll shout out like, oh, for that, you know, uh, a pair of shoes, it's $14 trillion. And, uh, but like, I found myself laughing when he would say something like $475. Like for some reason, the lower numbers were very funny to me. And then also I think that that makes it like, if you were there, you would be more confused as to whether or not this is a joke. Like if it, cause like this seems, you know, it's unreasonable to pay $400 for a pair of roller skates or whatever, but it's not like absurd, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. So I think the prices should have been lower. Um, and then also, um, you know, he, he says, make me an offer. A lot of the times he tells people to make him an offer, but he never, no, he never reaches any deals for the love of God. Why not haggle and reach a deal with somebody? Well, that is the joke. That's the joke. That's the joke. Well, I don't like that. I think if you're going to have a yard sale, you got to haggle with somebody. If if he says, make me an offer, they make an offer and he's like, yeah, cool. That's not a joke, Bowman. Well, I guess that's true. I don't know. <laughs> I do. Well, he was, he's, he does haggle with those kids with the scooters and like, he does come down on his price a little bit. Like, I think that they're trying to buy whatever they're trying to buy for like five or maybe $10. And he does come down from $36,000 to about $10,000, uh, which I thought was admirable of him. Um, yeah, he's, he, he's trying, he's doing his best. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that kind of bums me out about this is like, no, like people, um, you know, you, you would think in this situation, like, you know, the stuff, like what Tom Green did and what like the Jackass crew did and like all those guys that we love, like, is they would do something wacky, but like what they did was like kind of wacky, but then the reactions that they got, that was the wacky part, you know, like going up to somebody with poo on your microphone is funny, but then like that guy trying to beat you up, you know, <laughs> like that's even funnier. And like everybody here. Like the price master will shout out the prices and they'll just go, eh, it's a little too much for me. I don't know. I'm going to leave. So it's like always kind of anticlimactic, you know, except for the kids who haggle with him. And like, there's the one lady who's like, well, I'm just going to buy this for $5. I don't care what you say. Like, I liked her. But outside of that, like everybody's just like, nah, this is a, this yard sale is too crazy for me. No, thank you. So it's like a little anticlimactic. But, um, but that being said, I could watch this guy just shout out numbers all day. I think it's very funny. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, what do you guys think about it? I didn't know about this. I, I guess I probably saw it on the Discord, but I, I may have scrolled past it. Um, although I, I guess maybe I did watch a little bit of it when it was on uh, the Discord because it was marked as watched in my YouTube history when I started this up and I couldn't figure out how the hell this thing was already marked as watched when I had zero memory of even having heard of this before. But uh, I guess it's probably from that Discord link. Uh you know, anyhow, this thing opens up with a very long quote from the medium is the message that I felt was like a little bit pretentious. And, and you know, hearing now that IMDb 
uh, plot summary that you read back, I guess the pretentiousness w- was not limited just to that uh, intro text. Um, you know, but but I do like Marshall McLuhan. You know, I'm, I'm a Videodrome fan, so I'm, I'm willing to give them a pass on on this very long medium is the message quote that they open up with. And, and, and I think I also tend to give a pass to anything that is this do it yourself, you know, even that last movie to some extent. Um, I think that this price master short kind of falls into a category alongside something like heavy metal parking lot, you know, that category of guy with a video camera doing something fun and dumb in his hometown. And that's a category that appeals to me. You know, I I like dumb fun in, in hometowns and, in the years before YouTube and before internet videos, you know, kind of sapped the novelty out of that stuff. Um, you know, this, this was probably pretty novel if, if you did get a chance to see this back in 2001. Sure, guys like Tom Green had been doing stuff like this, but there weren't a ton of outlets for this. And if you, if you, you know, if you happen to be from this town or if you knew these people, I'm sure it would have uh, been all the more charming. Um, so, you know, I, I was down to have fun with these goofballs and, and their video camera. As far as a comedic premise, you know, it, it does sort of run out of steam within a couple minutes, much like the last short. And so I feel like in this, they kind of lean into the surrealism. Like there's these lingering long takes of the price master doing his dances and stuff like that, that I think would maybe be annoying for a lot of people, but I tend to be charmed by pointless surrealism. So I kind of like that stuff. And then I do agree with you that a lot of the reactions are kind of just subpar and just kind of whatever reactions that they get from these people. But there are a few that are fun. Um, Like there's an old lady who does a mocking bodybuilder pose at the price master out of nowhere that I thought was funny that she, she's like flexing her biceps at the price master for no reason. It's like 80 year old woman. Uh, there's a homeboy who is brazenly flipping through a porno mag at the yard sale. I thought that guy was kind of cool. Um, I also liked the guy who was looking for a microscope with two views <laughs> and he keeps insisting that he needs one real bad, uh, which I thought was kind of fun. Like who is this guy? Why does he need a mic- uh, microscope with two views so bad? Um, there's that part where the price master starts shouting Spanish at a Mexican kid that I felt like seemed a little bit questionable. Um, but it was also kind of funny. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, there's not a whole lot to this. Uh, there were some fun little details here and there. Uh, I like the frozen meats for sale at the garage sale that felt like kind of like an Omega Mart kind of touch maybe. Uh, oh, also at about two minutes and 30 seconds into this in the background, if you look closely, there's a sign like across the street at this apartment building uh, advertising, you know, apartments for rent. And the name of the apartment building is Normal Apartments, which I think I'm, I'm sure that they didn't add that for this. I'm sure that's just the name of the apartments, but also seemed kind of like a funny little thing that feels like it's in the tone of the comedy in this. I mean, I, I guess the main thing that I liked about this is that it kind of just flashed me back to my own younger days, you know, of, of being a dickhead teenager, you know, running around town with my friends and, and causing trouble. And you see something like this, and I feel like I, I, I wish these guys had made more of these. You know, I, I could see them cranking out a whole series of these pranks around town and entertaining me with them. It, it seems like this is the only one that they did back then, which is kind of a bummer because I think that there is some promise here. Um, I like this blend of kind of casual, observational, you know, real life comedic little moments and 
this fun bit of surrealism that they they managed to cook up. So uh, I did like this. You know, I, I watched it at 4 a.m. And I think that's probably the ideal time to watch this. I think if I was 100% wide awake, I don't think it would have played as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, for 20 minutes, 25 minutes of my time, whatever this was, I, I felt like I was reasonably entertained. Yeah, I I agree with you guys pretty much on on all counts. I, I totally agree, Parker. I think this is a great idea that is a, a little poorly executed. I think that they could have executed this better for uh, better reactions and better just overall comedy. Like, here's what I would have done in retrospect with this. I, I would have had the Price Master keep him exactly the same. He looks great. He sounds great. Perfect. But what I would have done is I would have had the price master hidden, like in a, a tent, maybe, or you know, like in some sort of hidden from view of the the people. And then when they wanted something, the guy would then direct them to the tent and say, "You got to go discuss it with the price master." And like Parker said, I think it would have been a lot funnier had he given more realistic prices only because that would have forced the people to engage with the price master more. I feel like, like Parker said, the fact that he just throws out like $13,000 people are immediately like, okay, well what the fuck ever they set the thing down and they walk (laughs) away. But if he would have been like, you know, like $40 and then like, then we would have gotten to watch like these people like genuinely try to haggle with this weird price master guy and i think that would have been hilarious but like you said the only ones that really engage with them are the kids and that's not really that fun i would like to see like you know these old you know texans like being forced to haggle with this weird robot guy and i think they by being so absurd with the prices they missed that opportunity to have that those interactions which i think would have been really funny had yeah. they kind well, of some capital- of the- yeah, well, some of the communications with the price master are the best part. So yeah, they should have done more of it. Like the part where like the the one person like lifts up like those speakers or whatever, and they're like, "What is this?" And he's like, "The communicator." Right. <laughs> stuff like that would be more. Stuff like that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, they 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 should have executed it a little bit better. But I I like I said, I do like the fact that this just exists. Like Sean said, it really does take me back to that that time when you know you're a kid with a camcorder and you're just fucking with people and that's there's a, a charm to that for sure um and i like the fact that this has gotten the kind of cult status that it has just based on the fact of what it is just essentially just a home movie of this weird kind of thing that these kids did in fact like i was looking there's like a lot of uh a lot of articles on this like actually very recently I don't know why it's all of a sudden kind of in the public consciousness, but um, a couple articles written within like the last month or so. In fact, in Denton, Texas, according to this this radio station's website, they even celebrate Price Master Day on February 10th. I don't know if that's the date that this was filmed or something, but uh, I guess just a few weeks ago was, was Price Master Day in Denton. I don't know what that celebration entails. If you're uh, you know, inclined to some discounts at the local Dairy Queen or something on Price Master Day, but they celebrated for some reason. Um, but yeah, and you know, again, I, I I love the idea of it. I think it's uh, it it has the potential 
I love the Price Master outfit too. Like I really want to try to recreate that. It's like a it's like a red winter like ski thing with like a chin strap, like a it's like a I don't know, and then like a gold mask, like you said, and like the silver jacket and these weird pants. And like I said, he looks great. The voice is great. I just think it could have been executed a little bit better for to to really maximize the the, the comedy of it. But other than that, I think it uh, it's still an entertaining watch, but it definitely goes on too long for the concept, uh, especially not getting the, the types of reactions I would hope for. So it, it, it's a little over long, but the concept still is a solid one. I just think it could be executed a little better. Well, then it's agreed. We will pay $13 billion uh, for more <laughs> Price Master. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, that wraps it up for the Price Master. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to be talking about Catherine, so stick around. Ton amour, ma Catherine, est meilleur que citron vert. On ne sait qui te chagrine, ni qui gagne, ni qui perd. Combadine, qu'on soit sage, toi, c'est toujours chou pour chou. C'est comme un fagot d'épines qui nous pique par tous les bouts. Tarlé donc, t'es ton. L'autre jour d'un air modeste quand tu m'offris mon chapeau Mais plus vite que l'arbalète tu le fis tomber dans l'eau Et d'un ton plein d'oragans sans me dire ni pour ni quoi tu m'adresses l'ordonnance de m'éloigner bien loin de toi. This is Catherine calling. Oh, hello, Catherine. I'm calling because I'd like to come back and work in the office. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay. Hold on and let me ask everybody. Catherine wants to come back and work in the, work in the office. She does? What does everybody think? Catherine can come back. She can come back. Yeah. I like Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Yes, I talked about it with everybody here, and you can come back and work in the office. Great. So, come to the office tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Goodbye. Bye. All right, welcome back to JFD. The final short film on the show this week is going to be Catherine from 2013. Uh, This is a short film about 12 minutes long starring Jenny Slate. And directed by the guy that did that David short that we reviewed, Dean Fleischer Camp, um, who was married to Jenny Slate at this time. Uh, and though they're now divorced, I think that they still have a pretty good relationship. They worked together fairly recently with that Marcel the Shell movie that I still got to see. 
Uh, he did this short, Catherine, a few years before he made David. Uh, it originally premiered on the Jash YouTube channel, which is how I first saw it. Uh, you know, being an L.A. comedy nerd, when Jash launched, I was super hyped. And for a brief time, I feel like they were doing some interesting things that were kind of fun to watch. Uh, I don't even know if the channel still exists anymore. I, I feel like it was a pretty short run of like Jash enthusiasm. But I, I do remember that there were like some, some like marathon length Doug, Doug Benson live streams at some festivals, maybe like South by Southwest, where he was like, sitting around with comedians, you know, on lounge chairs in the sun, sunlight, just kind of smoking, smoking dope and, and chatting, you know, with, with bros, which sounds like maybe the most boring thing imaginable <laughs> right now. But there was some kind of novelty to it, like 10 years ago, like before Twitch, before people were live streaming, it was just kind of like, oh, wow, like people can just do these long form things on the in internet now. And it's, you know, it, it can be super niche and, and interesting. And so, uh, you know, this also was on Jash around that time. And, and I saw it then and I completely fell in love with it. You know, I, I've been a fan of Jenny Slate's really since, you know, she was just doing these tiny shows at the UCB Franklin. Uh, but especially, you know, through her appearances on Parks and Rec, you know, she had that character that she played together with Ben Schwartz that I thought was really funny. Um <clears throat> And yeah, and, and so I, I was hyped to see her in this and, and enjoyed it. Um, anyhow, the plot of this is pretty easy to explain. Uh, Catherine, played by Jenny Slate, is an employee of an office, um, and she's going back to work after taking some kind of a short break off of work. Uh, the show takes place across the course of a week, uh, which is shown here in a roughly 12-minute span. And that might sound like not enough time to depict an entire week, 12 minutes, but it turns out that this week is suspiciously uneventful. And what I mean by that is that the plot of the show just consists of Catherine meeting her coworkers, who are all very normal, you know, almost as if they were like ripped from the pages of my new filing technique is unstoppable. Like these are human clip arts walking around, you know, it's like you opened up the clip art catalog, you know, scrolled over to the, the human resources section and, and found these human beings who are just the human embodiment of, of generic, you know, they are these ultra gen generic office drones, you know, who type on keyboards with wild abandon, you know, clearly not typing out a goddamn word. Um, and, and that's who she works with. Um, anyhow, Catherine, takes some lunch orders, you know, lunch orders like plain bread with plain chicken or ham with tomato sandwich. Um, these are the kinds of lunch orders that she takes. Uh, later on in the story, she will struggle with whether or not taking lunch orders is really what she wants to be doing at work. Uh, and in a very shocking moment, Catherine has a mild fall where she trips and scrapes her knee on a desk just a little bit, you know, not, not a big fall. Uh, but basically, more or less, nothing happens on this show, uh, <laughs> at least on the surface, because under the surface, under all of this normality, uh, there's a spooky and surreal sort of tone being struck here. You know, there's this low bass rumble under most of the scenes that, you know, almost sounds just like accidental room tone amplified, uh, but also has like a subtle David Lynch kind of effect. Um, and just, you know, the way that people speak in this short film, it's full of all these pregnant pauses and like an overwhelming sense of softness in the delivery of the lines. 
and there there's like little flubs in the dialogue here and there, you know, that they left in that I thought were kind of weird and almost unsettling in a way. Um, and then on like the visual front, things are also eerily normal. You know, you, you got this combination of medium res digital video and, and soft focus, like soap opera kind of lenses uh, that leads, I think, to a semi-distinct look here. You know, it looks sort of like something you would come across like flipping channels on TV in a hotel room in a foreign country. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't quite look like an American production. There's something like slightly off about it. Um, and everything from the design of the offices to the the ugly little Ford hatchback from the late 80s that Catherine drives just feel like they come from this slightly alternate hellscape, you know, like devoid of all uniqueness and and just sapped of all life. Uh, it actually kind of channels the feeling of being a creative person working in an office of just kind of boring, you know, office drones. Uh, anyhow, this is something that I've watched many times, um, but this is the first time that I've watched it in the format that I watched it in this week. So originally when this premiered on Jash, it was split into 12, uh, like, like 90 second videos, basically, that would have like a little bit of a stinger at the um, opening and closing that featured this cute little theme song for Catherine that I think is the exact same at the start and the end of the episode. So effectively you would watch this like 12 minute short film over the course of 12 videos and hear this tiny little theme song 24 times. And, you know, that's one way that you can experience it is in that format where it's split up into 12 pieces. This time I, I watched it all together. If you go to, uh, Dean Fleischer Camp's own YouTube channel. He's got this whole thing. It's just like a single 12 minute shot. And it's actually like a very different experience when the show is not constantly interrupting itself with its theme song. And I think I actually like the version with the, the theme song 24 times in 12 minutes better than I like this, um, you know, altogether. I mean, that said, I, I, I do like both versions quite a lot, but there's something about having that theme song constantly interrupting the show that made it feel more like a parody of like workplace dramas or something rather than just kind of a surreal short film about a woman and, and her experience. Uh, anyhow, I still love this. Um, you know, I, I think that there's something, I don't know, there's something about the restraint involved with this. Like it never leans too hard into anything I, you know, I think I know what the joke is here, but they don't fully kind of, you know, um, like uh, it's not like broadcasted in your face. You know, it's it's pretty subtle. So I don't know. This tickles me. I'll definitely watch this again. I, I had been thinking about picking this for the show for the longest time. So I am glad that I finally got a chance to to bring this to the show. And I'm curious to, to find out what did you guys think about Catherine? Uh, I had never heard of this before. I am kind of familiar with Jenny Slate and the Steen Fleischer Camp guy. I have not seen Marcel the Shell, uh, but I've heard good things. And in general, I think Jenny Slate can be funny um, when she pops up and stuff. I've always uh, enjoyed her contributions. Uh, but this was a weird one for me i i got the joke immediately it's like okay this is gonna be dry and mundane and they're gonna 
kind of, like you said, kind of satirize the dullness of office life and the boringness of, you know, white collar weirdos that work in an office and, you know, the fact that they, you know, order the plainest of foods and have the driest of conversations and don't really have emotions and yada, yada, yada. But I feel like that conceit wears pretty thin pretty quick. Like, I mean, I get it. And it's funny for about, I don't know, 30 seconds. And after that, you're like, where are the jokes? Any other jokes you got? But unfortunately, no other jokes come. It's just that one joke over and over again. And which is which is by design, though, to be sure. Fair. Like, oh, yeah. You can, no. you can tell this is not like a case of like we were trying to make it deliberately funny and we failed. This is I mean, th- it is kind of an anti-comedy approach. Well, that's why it had an anti-comedy effect on me. <laughs> sure. And the fact that I didn't laugh. I, I, I think you're right. It probably would have worked better broken up into chunks like it originally was intended. But as I watched it again, I didn't. I don't know. I would just. I. I, I felt it. It got pretty old pretty quick. Uh, I was hoping that there would be more to it than what there was. As it stands, I mean, it's fine. It's you know, it, like I said, Jenny Slate's pretty charming. Some of the other folks in this are pretty good, but again, nothing that's gonna. I don't know. I, I don't think it's anything that's gonna set the world on fire. So. You know, check it out for for a lark, but uh, don't expect a laugh riot. Well, I laughed the whole time. It was a laugh Hell riot. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I knew it. As the number one yeah. fan of David, I knew that you would like this. I love David, um, and I like this as well. I think I might like David more, maybe just because I saw it first or maybe because I love Nathan Fielder, but... Did you um, watch this in the in the un, uninterrupted 12-minute version, or you did the, the shorts... Or what? I did the uninterrupted version, but I do think that I probably would have liked it more cut up because David was cut up. I think it was in like seven or eight parts when we watched it. And it's like 12 minutes long, too. So and I liked that. So I probably should go back and rewatch this. I was I I was going to watch it that way, but I was afraid the way that YouTube works, I would have to watch an ad every two minutes. So I opted to just watch the long version. That's fair. Um, So. So yeah, this is like super fun. It's a lot like David, like you said, where it's uh, super fun. It's super fun. It's super fun. To, like yeah, these fucking people, weirdo dude. These people <laughs> listing, they're. Oh, I'm just. I mean, nobody ritually list ritualistically does any murders set to an ACDC song or anything. Yeah, it's, like it's that. fair. Jenny Slate didn't endanger the lives of the drivers on the 405 <laughs> freeway making this, but I, you know, I guess it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's uh, fun. <laughs> this is fun. They're ordering food. Whoa. It's great. You never order food. It's fun. It's a fucking, yeah, definitely worth capturing on film. Kevin Moss, <laughs> did you even notice the moment in this where the guy is talking to somebody else in the office and he's holding a slice of pizza and he uses the pizza to point at two other slices of pizza to indicate who he's talking about? Like he's talking about like, Catherine and Jim or whatever, and he's pointing with his pizza. I mean, that's comedic gold. That's very fun. What about the scene where the coworker hides behind the door and then scares Jenny Slate? That's it's, fun. It's the same guy that pointed with the pizza. A comedic oh, yeah, superstar, yeah. if you ask me. Yeah, also very scary when he scares her. I, it freaked me out a little bit. 
I got freaked it, out it, as well. It does sound like we're we're not being genuine, Bowman. Like when we talk about it, like, and I've struggled <laughs> with this because I've tried to explain to my wife why I like this, and she doesn't get it either. And I and I do feel like I don't sound genuine, and I, I don't know how to fix that. But there is something like compelling about I don't, the dryness of this, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's I mean, really, like, yeah. To verbalize it, really, the best thing I can come up with to, to explain why I like this is that they're talking funny. <laughs> but it's more than that, you know? Like, yeah. That's part of it. But, well, and, and, um, but they're shooting it funny, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it looks, it looks like the kind of thing you would watch on your first day at work to, like, you know, go over, like, an orientation video or something like that. Like, it's just, like, so brightly lit. It looks fake. Um yeah, you, you feel like these characters should be telling you about the ethics of accepting gifts from, you know, coworkers or whatever. Yeah, and then being like, well, if you got an insurance question, you got to talk to Susan in HR. But they're instead, it's instead of that kind of dryness, it's the drama of inner office politics and like the danger of losing your position as the lunch person, which I feel like is all too real in this in these offices. And like the way that Jenny Slate, like when she is ordering, like after she's already done the orders and then like the other lady comes back and she's taking orders, like the way that Jenny Slate, well, just the fact that like everybody orders, like they're obviously ordering from different places, but like, and like they're obviously ordering from restaurants, but then like they receive like brown paper bags and like items and tinfoil, like it's very bizarre and weird. Like Jenny Slate, the way she orders her salad or whatever she gets, she says, may I please have Cobb salad with ranch dressing? And it's like, if you're talking to your coworker, why would you ever say, may I please have, I don't, it's like, just like the, the little weird things, like make it so fun to watch. Um, yeah. And then, and then it ends right when there might be some sort of drama or something. And <laughs> which leaves you wondering what, you know, what is going to like, how do these people deal with real drama? Cause it seems like that coworker maybe did like some bad things or something like, like maybe there's some sort of stalking situation or vi- like there might be something violent about to happen, but the movie just kind of fades out when they get to that part. And it's very ominous and very funny to me. Right. Like if it feels like if we like, if this movie yeah. was five minutes longer, there would be like serious interpersonal drama. Right. Well, there either would be or there wouldn't be. But either way, you'd be thinking about the possibility of it. <laughs> it's Schrodinger's uh, interpersonal drama. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think this is fun. Uh, Jenny Slate's fun. I don't really know her from much, except she, like she pops up in movies and stuff from now and then. All right. You know, so um, maybe I'll try to watch more of her stuff. And I definitely want to watch some more, some of these uh, Marcel, the, the shell with shoes. Um probably not like this but uh i don't know i trust this guy i'll watch a shell movie or shorts or whatever he's got so uh yeah this is fun nice yeah i would totally recommend you know if you haven't checked out jenny slate's stand up uh it's well worth checking out and then um i do want to urge people out there i i know that a lot of her audience you know they consider themselves to be in the kevin camp you know they're they're big moss heads out there if, if he gives the thumbs down no way will they check something out. 
But this is a, a pretty minimal investment of time. In fact, I think you will know if you like this within the first minute. So give a minute of your time to Catherine on YouTube. And if you don't like it, then then that's fine. It's, it's not for you. But but I love it, man. And, and I, I do think that there is something underrated here about this guy's ability to capture a tone that, I mean, if you took Jenny Slate out of this and it's just these kind of mostly anonymous actors, the way that this is, that this is shot and the set design of it and everything, you would be convinced 100% that this was like a low budget instructional video from like 20 years prior. And maybe that doesn't seem like an achievement, but I also feel like I've seen a thousand sketch comedy shows over the years, like try and duplicate the tone of like, you know, of an infomercial or an educational video or this or that. And they never get fully there, but this is 100% there. And I think that's incredible. So uh, an interesting piece of work, Catherine, that I love, we all love, we all agree. It's one of the greats. Uh, But I think that probably about wraps it up for our review of it. Uh, We will take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we'll have our shells and shoes on. So stick around. Hey, human scum! It's odorous, you're under the floor. And you are listening to Junk Food Dinner. I hope it tastes good. about wraps it up for episode number 658 of Junk Food Dinner. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. If you like the show, check out our website, junkfooddinner.com, where you can find all of our previous episodes easily chronicled for your listening pleasure, as well as links to all of our social media accounts, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, but the real way to party with us is uh, hooking up with us in the Discord. Go to the discord.com, uh, look for Junk Food Dinner, Send us a request, we'll let you in, and there you can party all day, 24-7, with your JFT pals and all the fine listeners out there in Junk Food Dinner Land. Also, let your voice be heard by giving us a call on the Junk Food Dinner voicemail line at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-JUNK. Give us a call, get your voice played on the show. Uh, or you can send us an email at jftpodcast at gmail.com, but where's the fun in that? Send us a voicemail. Uh next week should be a fun week uh we are doing three somewhat classics we're doing bill and ted's bogus journey attack of the killer tomatoes and hollywood mortuary so make sure you tune in for that that should be a lot of fun uh in the meantime like i said hit us up on the discord 
uh, check us out. Let your friends know about the show. And, uh, yeah. So until next time, this is Kevin Moss for Parker Bowman and Sean Byron saying adios, everybody. We will see you next time.